We're continuing our series about a new thing, and uh, let's start with a, a short review. Uh, last time I spoke about Abraham, and I couldn't quite remember how old he, uh, he was when he died. And uh, Salman uh, helped me out and uh, said Abraham was 175 years old when he died. And this whole thing of a new thing is when we read the Bible, it's all long periods condensed into very short few chapters. And that's what we saw with Abraham's life as well. It's not like some major new thing happens in our life every day. Uh, I think life will be pretty exhausting if, <laughs> if it is like that. Uh, there's long periods, maybe days, weeks, months, years, maybe even decades where, you know, it's just the same. Same thing, day in, day out, and, and then suddenly God brings something new. And as we saw from, uh, from Abraham, there were, we looked at four kind of new things that we learned from Abraham. There was the clear calling new thing, the very rare, I would say, occasion where God calls someone or a group of people to something new. There was the my new thing, where we kind of invent our own new thing, not what God tells us or calls us to. Sometimes it's aligned with God's will and sometimes it's completely misaligned. Then there's the, uh, the allowed accidental new thing, things that just happen to us, you know, because life happens, because God allows Satan to test us, to interfere with us. Um, and it's just, you know, it wasn't our thing, it was God's thing, but it's just life happening, the accidental new thing. And then there was the promise of a new thing to come which uh, we as Christians look forward to, the promise of eternal life in heaven with God. So today we're going to look at Daniel and also at some new things that we can learn from Daniel. And uh, Daniel, of course, the picture there is known for, uh, what's the connection with Daniel and the lion? Anybody remember? Pardon? Prophecy, yeah. What, what did Daniel have to do with lions? Anyone else? What was Sunday school that long ago? <laughs> Should we call the kids in and ask them? Okay, we'll come to that bit. <laughs> we'll come back to that. But we're going to look at Daniel. Pardon? I thought being shy. Being shy. Oh, okay. Being shy. Okay, we'll come back to that then. <laughs> so we're going to learn from, uh, from Daniel today and the new things that happened also uh, in his story. And if you go and look to the Bible, you'll see that there's 12 chapters in Daniel. And again, there's a lot of new things happening condensed into a very short few chapters. But it actually spans a whole 70 years from the beginning of Daniel to the end of Daniel. And um, if you look at the Watford Word, you'll see that uh, Malcolm has conveniently kind of summarized a bit of the history there, the background of Daniel. Um, and in short, it is... The story of Daniel comes from the time when the Israelites drifted away from God. God warned them several times, and then he sent the Babylonians to first besiege Jerusalem, and then later take them captive and take a whole load of uh, Israelites back to Babylon with them. And then it spans that period of 70 years up to when uh, the Israelites start returning to Jerusalem. That's a long time, 70 years. It's a, it's a lifetime. Yeah. And in that lifetime, we see again, very similar to Abraham, that similar to these new things happen. 
There's a clear, new, a clear calling new thing for Daniel. There was sometimes a new thing that he did. There were sometimes accidental things that happened to him. And then there's also the promise of a new thing to come. We're not going to cover all of those today, but we're going to take a slightly different approach. And just look at two things and two aspects of life and how it applies to us. What can we learn from Daniel and new things? Now, you know the saying, have you heard the saying, life is a roller coaster? And there's a picture there of, uh, you know, what is life like as a roller coaster? You know, it's ups and downs and loops and it's fear and joys and relief and happiness and crying and all all those things, but that's life. You know, sometimes life is great and we're happy and joyful and sometimes life gets us down. I, lo I love the cartoon on the right-hand side there and uh, the guy saying, oh, well, that was an emotional roller coaster. And if you look carefully, you can uh, see the, the little roller coaster there being emotional. <laughs> but uh, life is a roller coaster. And if you just think about your life, you know, sometimes life is plain sailing, smooth, and then sometimes, you know, you wake up and something new has happened. Maybe it's something exciting, you know, a new baby gets born in the family, and you see it all over Facebook, you know, like Malcolm and Penny, they're grandparents, and like we're being reminded every week, <laughs> they are grandparents, and the baby's growing up, and, uh, and now the baby's smiling, uh, and... Uh, um, you know, joyful new things happen. And sometimes it's tough new things. You know, someone in the family passes away. Or someone is sick. Um, one day they're still healthy. And like my wife, Liesel, you know, a week ago she was still at work. Last Sunday she was feeling really terrible, didn't come to church. Start worked for an hour on Monday and then packed it up and said, no, I can't do this. And she's got COVID again. Fifth time, fourth or fifth, stopped counting. Been in bed the whole week. Like, things can change so suddenly. And that's the roller coaster, up and down. New things that happen in our, in our lives. Sometimes they are real blessings, and sometimes it feels like real challenges. Let's go to Daniel and see what we can learn and see from how he coped with, uh, with new challenges. So, for those of us who are uh, still working, and haven't retired yet, like I know some have the privilege of being retired. Uh, some are retired officially, having no pay job. And some are retired with no pay job, but they still work very hard. Yeah. Taking care of kids and family, and I'm looking at you, Bill. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's tough. But imagine your dream job. You know, sometimes it's like, what would the dream job look like? I, was, uh, I started thinking about that on Friday. Um, it was a hectic week for me. Uh, as, as many of you know, I'm in the process, I was in the process of possible redundancy. Uh, on Wednesday, I think, uh, when did I meet you in the park? Uh, Akin, was it Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah, on Wednesday I went for my lunchtime run in the park and uh, there was Akin as well. I'm not going to say if he was running or walking. I, I met him in the park. <laughs> okay, just by accident, by God incident. And we had a nice chat and I was sharing with him, oh, you know, I've, there's an internal role that's opened up and, and the people who are up for redundancy get first opportunity and I've applied for this role, so maybe I could stay on after all. And then um, Thursday afternoon or Friday morning first thing, anyway, I got, oh, no, you didn't get the role. And then Friday I was made redundant. And I woke up Saturday morning being unemployed. <laughs> And it's like an, okay, new thing. 
But it's interesting, I, I, I told several people, you know, I'm actually kind of relieved I didn't get that job that I applied for internally because I suspect I was going to hate it. It would have lasted about six months and then I was like, oh, why did I take this job? <laughs> because it's not really what I want to do and would like to do. It's not my dream job. It would have just been a job to pay the bills. And it's got me thinking, but what is my dream job? What is it that I really like and enjoy and find fulfillment in? And uh, what does that dream job look like? Maybe you've got some idea, you know, what does your dream job look like? Daniel was a person with a lot of privilege and blessings in his life. And so the context is, of course, that uh, where we start Daniel is in Jerusalem, it is besieged by the Babylonians, and they come and they take the city captive and they take a lot of Israelites with them. But Daniel was someone who was very privileged. He actually was a, a royalty from a royal descent or some kind of nobility. And as we read in Daniel 1 from verse 3, if you want to follow along, and I'm not sure if the, I don't think the slides are on the live stream. So if you want to follow along, it's Daniel 1. We're going to read from verse 3 to verse 6. So imagine Daniel, one day, he's in a city that's being besieged. Babylonians are attacking. You know, he's thinking, am I going to live? Am I going to die? Then the Babylonian king uh, comes in and he, and he conquers the city. And we read in verse 3 of Daniel 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Wow. It's like a description of, uh, of Joshua, you know, a handsome young man, strong, healthy, uh, being taken into service. Um, that's Daniel. So Daniel was one of these. Uh, uh, so he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Imagine that. You know, young graduates who leave university, if they have the opportunity to get a three-year uh, apprenticeship scheme or a three-year um, graduate job, yeah, that is like with one of the big investment banks in the city of London. That would be the dream job for many young people. Healthy young people who are just starting off their career. I mean, there's a new series uh, on TV starting of a, of a very popular program called The Apprentice, where, where uh, now a lot of it's pretend and you know, TV and entertainment and so on. But there's some very ambitious young people who come and uh, for an opportunity to get their business funded by one of the most uh, successful entrepreneurs in, in British history, and to be mentored by him. What an opportunity. What a blessing. And that's what happened in Daniel's life. He had life cut out for him. He was talented. He was, uh, he was privileged from his level in society. If you think about your life, 
Have you ever thought about the blessings that God gave you at some point in life? When you were kind of on the joy part of the roller coaster. And you feel like, wow, life is great. What a blessing. And it seems like new things are happening and they're just all good. I can relate a bit to Daniel. When I started my career, um, I was blessed like, like Daniel. I wasn't the, the handsome guy, uh, but I was blessed with a really good intellect. And when I was about 16, I got my first job. I, I taught myself to program. Now, this is way back in the late 80s, early 90s. Where are we now? Uh, early 80s, actually. So in the early 80s, I taught myself uh, computer programming, which was a completely new thing in those days as a teenager. Um, and one day, uh, it was in the holidays. My dad worked for an engineering company. And I was bored, so I went to visit him at work and sat around. And, and after a, half a day, or maybe a day, I started getting on his nerves because I was like, Dad, what are you doing now? What is this? What is that? And he's like, he wanted to get his work done. And, and he said, oh, let me take you down for one floor. There's a department there where they have computers. I know you like computers. So he introduced me to those guys there. And um, long story short, uh, I spent the day with him, looking at what they're doing and, and asking them a lot of questions. And then the next day I went, they, they said, oh, come back tomorrow. It's, it's fun having you around. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Went back the next day. One of the guys was sitting there with, a, with something called a bug. That's when your computer program doesn't work. And he's been struggling with this for a, for a week. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? What are you struggling with? And I looked over his shoulder. I looked, oh. And after about, I said, oh, let me have a look. And after about half an hour, an hour, I came back to him. He said, oh, I found your problem. And you should do this and this and this and this. And it fixed it. And he's like, what? And he went to his boss and said, oh, look at this young kid just did. And he fixed my problem and everything. And, and uh, at the end of the day, the, the, the boss of that department, he came to me and he said, so, so you're coming back tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'm still on holiday. I'll come back tomorrow. He said, no, no, you need to come back tomorrow. I said, why? He said, no, you're going to you start work tomorrow. <laughs> and he offered me a job. And I worked there for the rest of my holiday. And then I then started working there weekends and all my holidays. And I got my first job like that when I was 16. That is, a, that is privilege and blessing. I didn't, at that time, I, I wasn't very faithful. I didn't see it as a blessing from God or anything. For probably the next, now let me calculate. So until about 2001, so that's probably for the next 15 years of my life, I never had to apply for a job. I never had a job interview. The first 15 years of my career was always the network. And you know, when I finished my studies, my dad called me one day and he said, oh, you need to call this guy that I used to know because I, I did judo with him. I was like, oh, why would he want to? Why should I call him? And so, OK, I'll call him. And oh, what do you want before? Oh, he's got a job offer for me when I finish my studies. OK. And so it went, kind of being headhunted and poached and, and for 15 years of my career. And the first time I actually had to go for an interview, prepare a CV, was 15 years later when we wanted to move to Namibia and I started looking for a job. Um, and it was a completely new experience to me. The concept of being made redundant never existed to me. I felt like Daniels, like, and wow, what an opportunity. And it was just a blessing upon blessing upon blessing. That's where, where Daniel was. He had this three-year program being trained 
which was, if you go to the British Museum, you can see all the artifacts from Babylon. It was like the leading scientific institutes and the leading scientific teachings and philosophies. And if you wanted to go to the Oxford of, uh, I remember, I forgot the date now, but about 700 BC, if you wanted to go to the Oxford or Cambridge of, B of 700 BC, that's where you would go, Babylon. That's the training that he got. Amazing opportunities, blessings. A great new thing in his life. But then one day, in the story, blessings change to be to new challenges. A bit later on in Daniel 18, verse 8, we read that, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. So imagine that, eating off the king's table. That must be pretty good eating, I think. <laughs> Best wines, etc. Except that it probably wasn't kosher. A lot of forbidden food, maybe some pork, etc., etc. And Daniel was like, well, I can't defy myself. Even though this royal food is top class, I have the law of Moses. And I've got the, the laws of God that are important to me and that I want to obey. So he made this resolution not to defy himself with the royal food and wine. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defy himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Verse 10, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And then we skip further to, to verse 12, where Daniel says, well, please test your servants for a for, uh, for 10 days by providing us with some vegetables to eat and water to drink. So Daniel says, I'm going to go vegetarian for 10 days. And uh, let's see if I'm worse off than all the other men who are drinking wine and you know, feeding themselves on the, on the fat of the land. But suddenly, in all this blessing of this three-year training program, Daniel faces a new challenge. And he faces a challenge because of his faith and because of standing up for what he believes in and for his principles. And suddenly life is not so easy and simple anymore. And he's put before a test. And he comes up with this idea and said, okay, test us and see how it will work out if we only eat this food. So uh, in Daniel 1 verse, uh, verse 15, we read that at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. In verse 19, the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter, of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Have you ever experienced that? When, you know, things are great, and then there's a challenge in your life, and you think like, wow, God is really testing me. I'm being, my faith is being tested here. My, my, the, the strength of my convictions are being tested. 
But when we come through that time of testing, that there is an even better and a new blessing on the other side of it. And that's what happened to Daniel and his friends. They looked healthier and better nourished than even than, than before. Now, this is not a, a, a sermon for choose vegetarianism over, <laughs> over the king's food. That, that, that's not the point. Um, if you want to talk about that, you know, there are some vegetarians, you can ask them uh, how their health is and so on and so on. But uh, that's not the point. The point is that their resolve was rewarded by God. In verse 17, God gave knowledge and understanding to them. Not because they, of the food that they ate, but because they honored his law with their obedience. Because they said, we're not going to eat that unclean food and defile ourselves with it. Now, as Christians, we don't have those laws. You know, don't touch that, don't drink that, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you know. Don't watch football on Sundays, you know, don't go shopping on Saturdays, etc. Et we don't have those laws. But in life, we're often faced with challenges to our principles. We're often faced with the opportunity or the pressure to compromise what we stand for. And I think what we can learn from Daniel is that when we persevere through the new challenges, God has new blessings waiting for us on the other side. Because those challenges and the testing times are there to purify us, to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, to grow our character. And it would be amazing if, like, at the end of it, we like David and his friends, where we found ten times better than before. That's quite something. That's the blessings of God that comes after new challenges. <laughs> That's a roller coaster, you know, ups, downs, ups, downs. But after the downs, God brings new blessings. After new challenges, <coughs> there was even more new blessings. So that was one king. Then there was another king later on in Daniel's life, in Daniel 5, in verse 13. Um, it says, so Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. So this is a story where, uh, Belshazzar, where, where uh, uh, Daniel um, explained the dream to, to Belshazzar. And uh, as a reward, he was, Daniel was blessed again in verse 29. We see that then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Wow. So he went from one of the king's advisors to now being like the third highest. After King Belshazzar came another king, Darius. And in, uh, uh, in Daniel 6, verse 1, we read that uh, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three chief ministers over them. So that's one of which was Daniel, uh, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. I mean, this is just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. 
First, he's like one of the wisest men. Then he becomes one of the top three. And now the king plans to make him effectively the prime minister of the whole country. This is an exile that was taken as a prisoner from Jerusalem. Amazing blessings. But as we see on this roller coaster, new blessings are followed by new challenges. So a bit further in, uh, in Daniel 6, we see that, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. So what was happening here is that all these other people, these 120 satraps and the, and, and the two other prime ministers, when they, when they realized that Daniel was going to be ruling over them all, a foreigner, a Jew, they started conspiring against him <coughs> and said, we can't have this. And they concocted this plan uh, and they came up with this trick to, they tricked, basically tricked the king to make a law that said anybody who doesn't pray to the king will be must be killed and must be thrown into the den of lions. And that's where the story of the, the picture of the lion comes in. So as a consequence of that, we see that the blessings that Daniel just had is now followed again by some new challenges. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. That is quite a challenge from one day being one of the three top cabinet ministers to the next day being thrown into the lion's, into the lion's den. Sounds a bit like British politics, doesn't it? <laughs> the lifetime of some, of some of the prime ministers, you know. Um, you know, blessed one day, facing a new challenge the next day. This story here is actually referenced in Hebrews where Daniel is not called out by name, but called out by reference as one of the great fathers of the faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 32, it says, and, and what more shall I say? I do not, that's after naming all the people like Abraham, it said, and Moses, and you know, those heroes in the faith. And then he said, okay, you know, this is going to be a very long chapter. Someone's going to name all of them. And he just says, what more shall I say? Well, I do not have time to tell about, you know, all these other people and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what, what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Daniel is mentioned here in Hebrews as one of those heroes in the faith, because he was locked in a cage full of dens, full of lions, not knowing what was going to happen in a den of lions. A new challenge. And we know that Daniel responded with faith to that new challenge. Because the very next day, um, they opened up the lion's den. And the king rejoiced because he, he, liked, he liked Daniel. And there was Daniel, still alive, unharmed by the lions. We read in Daniel 6 verse 22. Uh, so the king asked Daniel, but how is this possible that you're still alive? And Daniel said, my God sent his angel 
and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in God. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and, and, and peoples of every language in all the earth. So remember, Daniel was going to be just the prime minister over the country. Now, the king writes to not just his own country, because at this time, Babylonia, well, when he says all the earth, basically to them, he, he ruled all the earth, which was kind of the known, uh, the known Western civilization of the time. At this time, he ruled all the way down to Egypt, from Babylonia, west into modern-day Turkey, north into, almost into Mongolia, uh, east, I mean, it was an enormous kingdom. So King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, verse 26, and he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And verse 28, we see that, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. How did Daniel respond to that latest challenge in his life of being thrown in the lion's den? Did he question God that just blessed him the previous day? And say, God, you know, I thought you were taking care of me. Yesterday I was still one of the three uh, prior candidates for prime minister and now I'm, I'm about to die. He responded with trust in God. He didn't put his trust in God only for the good times. His faith in God was not just based on the good times. His faith in God was not based on the fact that what he would receive from God was only blessings. I think Daniel trusted that whatever new thing happened in his life, whether it was a new blessing or a new challenge, it all came from God. And that is how he coped with his roller coaster, all the ups and downs, all the new things that came into his life, whether it was new challenges, new tough times, or whether it was new good times. And the amazing thing is that every time after a tough time when God blessed him, it was even better and bigger than before. Now that's not a an ultimate guarantee for our life, that life will always just get bigger and better and bigger and better. That's not the point. Although eventually it will, because eventually the blessing we all look forward to as Christians is bigger and better than anything we could ever receive on this earth, which is eternal life in Christ, <coughs> being in heaven with God. Eventually it will get to that point, just like, uh, like the king wrote, where everybody will praise God. Every knee will bow before him, and we will prosper during the reign of Jesus in heaven for eternity. Eventually, our roller coaster will also get there, through the downs and through the ups and the blessings and the challenges, and more blessings and more challenges. If we have the heart of Daniel to respond with faith and trust in God, whether it's a blessing or whether it's a challenge, What's new in your life? Maybe nothing. Maybe you're just cruising. Maybe it's been the same for the last day, week, month, year. 
We don't know what's around the corner. Maybe you're going through some challenging times right now. What you have to look forward to is that there are also, you can know and trust that God has some blessings coming after the challenges. And maybe your life is very blessed right now. And you think like, wow, life is great. God is on my side. Will you be ready for when the challenges come? Will your faith be ready for, the for when the challenges come? That's what I learned from Daniel's roller coaster. New blessings, new challenges. And as we are going to have communion now, I thought about the parallels between Daniel and Jesus. And I realized in the story of, uh, of the, um, this roller coaster of Daniel, Jesus went through a roller coaster as well. Even in his, in his short ministry, even in his life. He was born in a stable, but then he was visited by angels. Then he was a, an exile for 12 years in Egypt. Then he started doing miracles. He was opposed. His own people wanted to throw him off a cliff in his own hometown. Down goes the roller coaster. Then he gets a triumphant entry into Jerusalem and people sing and they praise him and they lay out uh, palm branches in front of him and, and it's, uh, it's just a new blessing again. And then comes the betrayal and the crucifixion and his death. And then he gets resurrected and a new blessing. And then eventually, like Daniel, he gets elevated to be the ruler over everything and all. Jesus had the same roller coaster life that, uh, that we feel we sometimes have. His life had blessings and challenges. One of the big challenges was when Jesus was betrayed into the hands of, of sinners. That was the challenge. How did he get through that? He submitted to God's will. So what happened in the story in Daniel 6 when he was thrown into the lion's den? <coughs> we read in verse 4. The chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. <coughs> but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Does that sound familiar? If we think about, you know, it's just like Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they tried to find grounds for charges against Jesus. And they couldn't find anything because there was no sin in him. Carry on in verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, uh, this man Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God, of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king. Does that sound familiar? What happened with Jesus? What was the charge against him? It was based on the very law of God. The charge against him was that he claimed himself to be God. So blasphemy was the charge. So back to Daniel, verse 7. So these people, they go to the king and say, the king should issue an edict. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree 
that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Daniel was being betrayed by his fellow ministers, his fellow rulers. How did he respond? He submitted to God's will. He went to his room and he got on his knees and he prayed three times a day. How did Jesus respond? In Matthew 26, verse 39, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is approaching and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. It's almost like a mirror image, Daniel and Jesus. And I was thinking about like, what helped Jesus through this intense time in his life? One thing we know is that Jesus knew his Old Testament. He knew the stories. We don't read this here. I'm making it up. But I can just imagine Jesus thinking through those heroes of the Old Testament. And thinking through the challenge, the new challenge that he is facing. And thinking that, yeah, I know <coughs> Judas is going to betray me. One of my friends, one of the twelve chosen to, to govern, to rule, to lead the future Christians, was going to betray me. Maybe Jesus was also inspired by Daniel, praying three times and putting his future into the hands of God, trusting the will of God, knowing that he's going to be betrayed by the hands of sinners. As we have the communion now, let's uh, reflect on that. Let's reflect on, on Daniel, but also on Jesus, who persevered through that new challenge in his life that led to his death. And he did that for us, so that our sins can be forgiven, and we can look forward to the new blessing awaiting for us one day in heaven. Let's pray for the, uh, for the communion. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great lesson of Daniel. Father, we thank you for your son and his life, the blessings in his life, but also the challenges that he went through, God. Father, we thank you that he can relate to us and we can relate to him. Father, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we receive through his broken body. And as we have this, this bread, Help us to think about his body that was broken for us on the cross. Father, as we have this fruit of the vine, please remind us of your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy because of this blood that forgives our sins. Father, please place this in our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.